Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the 31st chapter. We're going to be reading the first nine verses, and so if you do not have a Bible, uh, Doug will be passing them out. Please raise your hand, and he will get a Bible to you. If you have your own Bible, please open up to the book of Proverbs, the 31st chapter, the first nine verses. As we begin our time together, let's hear from the Word of God. It says, starting at verse 1, The saying of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings, It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Thus ends the word, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. It is said about God that he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As the father caring for a child, God saw that through, through creation was good. It wasn't good for man to be alone. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Thus he had taken out of man the one he made to be equal with man. Equal in value was the woman, not made to be equal in task. For the role she would play in life-giving movement of humanity, would, he would not be able to duplicate. Nor would she be able to match his strength for the task. So side by side they would walk, shining a light to the world, that the God of all creation was wise beyond measure to bring depth, width, height, and length to the beauty of real relationship. Even in the last book of the Old Testament, in the prophetic word of the coming Messiah, salvation would be visibly seen through the return of honor that the children would give to their parents and parents would give to their children. God brought honor to the women of the world when he chose the Messiah to come through the birth canal of a woman. He brought honor to women when he demonstrated his first healing in 
Mary Magdalene and the casting out of seven demons. He demonstrated the value of a woman when he chose to reveal who he was to a Samaritan woman at a well. He honored his mother even at the cross when he compassionately gave her to the Apostle John. God in his law revealed the importance of the position of mother and child. The second generation believers carried that truth on when the Apostle Paul said the very words that I had read to you at the beginning of this service. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And so this passage today calls us to listen to the teaching of a mother. As we come to our passage today, we see a mother coming to her son, a young man coming into kingship with wisdom. Some believe that Lemuel, which means for God or devoted to God, was possibly the name of endearment for King Solomon. It could be another young king, and yet doesn't make sense that Proverbs is written by Solomon, and yet all of a sudden a new king is introduced. But no matter what, the whole point is this. Hear the heart of a mother crying. Hear the heart of a mother bringing true and important things to her, to her son. As you see in verse 2, it says this. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Three times the mother calls for her son to listen. Maybe it sounds familiar to moms. Huh? Will you listen to me? Just listen to me. <laughs> but in this instance, we realize that when God's word ever says something three times, it is an ever call for us to listen. Because what he is saying to us is vitally important. Vitally important. I, I equate this to the fact that all three of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are saying in unison with each other, listen. Listen to the words that are being said. God brings this emphasis in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, when he says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland of grace to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Garland was on a head to signify victory to a person who was in, comp in competition. And chain was the victory prize that would be awarded to the victor. Listening to those who love you, called by God to give your life direction, is to be a victory in your life and is to be the direction so that you can complete the race in this life. Hebrews 2 says these words in the first and second verse. It says, we must pay more close, more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Just like this mother, God is saying, listen, listen. But we also see another important truth. Not only is the mother saying, listen, but also she is saying something else. She's invoking uh, her position as mother. You have to understand that in Solomon's day, a king's rule was autonomous. He answered to no one on this earth. He had absolute authority over his subjects. 
If you remember a story out of Solomon's life, you'll remember that uh, there was a time in which his wisdom was revealed. Two women who were prostitutes came to him and were claiming motherhood over one child. The story goes that it was, they both had given birth to their children close to each other. And it was during the night that one of these mothers had rolled over on top of her child, killing her child. And so during the night, she switched her child to the other mother and took the live child for her own. But not knowing which mother did it, Solomon made a decree. He asked for a sword and the, when the sword brought, was brought to him, he declared this, I will cut the child in two, and I will give each one of you half of the child. In the midst of that wisdom, the mother, the real mother, cried out for the life of her child and said, even if I can lose this child... I would rather it live. And Solomon knew who the mother was. And so this mother is invoking her position. How does she do it? Do you see it in the passage? She first says, my son. The mother had the authority of the family over the child. And so she invoked that authority as the matriarch of the family. So he needed to listen to her because... She was his mother. But second, she said, not just son, she's says, son of my womb. Well, that's an interesting and curious thing. She says, listen to me because you're a part of me. You are a piece of me. As the connection happens between a child and smother in the womb, so that connection will never end. And so you're a part of me. And third, not only my son, not only son of my womb, but also son of the answer of my prayer. Another way of saying this is son of my vows. A child dedicated to the Lord. This reminded me of a story of, of Hannah, who was barren and could not have children. And so uh, her husband loved her very much, and when he'd go to Jerusalem, he would give her a double portion of the offering, kind of playing favorites a little bit. Well, she was found one day in the temple crying out to God um, in silence, but her lips were moving. And, uh, and she was crying out and said, God, I, I want a child. Some of you know what that feels like. I want a child. And so she said, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to the Lord. I will dedicate him to you. I will bring him back to serve in this temple. Uh, Eli thought that she was drunk. And so he said, woman, stop your drinking. He said, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm crying out. I am in such anguish because my heart desires to have a child. And Eli said, go home. May the Lord himself hear what you have cried out to him. And she did give birth. Anybody know his name? Samuel. Samuel. Thank you. Yes. And what happened when he was weaned? Brought back to the temple. Amen. Amen. And so 
My son, authority. My son of my womb, you're a piece of me. My son, the answer to my prayer. My devoted to the Lord, son. In my uh, journey this week, probably a bit why I'm a bit weepy today in front of you is because while I've been journeying this passage, I've been reading through some of my mother's um, prayers over me. She has several prayer journals, so I'm not the only one that talked a lot. As I'm going through my journals, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm reading things about what was on my mother's heart. Um, she really was compassionate about my friendships and my relationships, and she wanted me to be a man of honor in my relationships. Uh, the other thing was she really wanted me to get an education, so she really cried out to God that I would care over my education because I was one who struggled in school desperately. Um, and some of that just came from the fact that I didn't try. And so she, she cried over my life. But a particular one uh, jumped out. Um, and it was the day I made profession of faith. And listen to her words. Maybe. Today, Wayne will make profession of faith. When he was a child, we dedicated him to the Lord. Now as a man, he's standing up in the faith you gave him. And so three powerful reasons for a child to listen to his mother, but also three powerful reasons for a mother to lead their children to truth. I hope you hear that today, mothers. We live in a worldly wisdom today that says these words. I don't think I should tell my children what to believe. They need to find out for themselves what to believe. That is a lie from hell. It is your call as a mother to teach your children the truth. In fact, in fact, your children believe when they look in your eyes that you're going to tell them the truth because in their heart they have been caused to believe by being the one that gave them birth that you will tell them what is true. And so I want you to take that home. So what's so important to this mother that she had to cry out to her son to listen? That she'd had to invoke her, her family authority, fleshly connection, and dedication of her son to God. There are three things that I get from this passage that is calling a mother's heart to tell the truth to her children. I'm going to use the acronym MOM. I don't know if we have that on a slide, but we're going to use the acronym MOM for this uh, to remember. So the first M is found in, in verse 2. Well, in verse 3, sorry about that. In verse 3. So it says this, Do not spend your strength on women, 
your vigor on those who ruin kings. So the first acronym to mom is mooring. Mooring, M-O-O-R-I-N-G-S, mooring. Moorings for life. To understand the movement of this truth, you have to understand what it means to be moored or moorings. It's to hold in place or to cause to be held in place. Listen to this. I found this interesting. It is beliefs, habits, and ties that make one feel secure. Isn't that true? Yeah. What you believe does more your life holds it in place, or it does the opposite. What you believe takes your life away from true moorings. Isn't that true? That is so true. In this passage, what is, talk, what is being talked about here is the false security of being drawn into a relationship with a woman that has no commitment skin in the game. It is the destruction. Now listen to me. This, this, is, this is what went through my mind, and I wonder if it does yours. It's the destruction that Solomon saw in regards to his own mother and father whose relationship started out in lust. Think about the power of this. If it's truly, if it is truly Bathsheba talking to Solomon, it makes these words so much more powerful when she says, your dad and I were there at one time. And it has brought destruction into our family. Son, don't let the lust for a prostitute, don't let lust in your life lead you. The definition of lust is this. It is the desire to, I want what I want and I don't care who it may hurt in the pursuit of what I want. That's what lust is. Love is, love is sacrificial. It is, I want the best for the one that I love, not for what I want. I'm willing, like, like, the, like the songs, that, we're going to sing that song again, brother. I love that song, but it is, it's, I, I am not coming into this relationship to be served. I'm coming in this relationship to serve. That's what love is. That's what makes a marriage work, is when two people, uh, Russ and, and, and Margaret, 71 years this, this week in marriage. 71 years. That's amazing. And, and Margaret, Russ has spent his whole life serving you, right? Yeah, well, anyway, in <laughs> uh, Russ, Margaret has spent her whole life serving you, right? Yes! <laughs> oh, us guys have a lot to learn. <laughs> but it's true. That's what real love is. That is what the mooring is. See, wanton lust not only drives you in beliefs, habits, and ties that cause you to feel secure, but to be secure in the most dangerous place in the world. It's outside of God's will. That is the most dangerous place. 
When we allow lust to, to move us forward, and it doesn't have to be just right. The, the, the Bible talks about the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It is all lust. Even though the mother is using lust as, uh, of, for a woman as being the, kind of the, uh, the pinnacle of what she's trying to get at, she's also trying to get at, don't let lust lead you. Don't let I want what I want and I don't care what it does to anybody else to lead your life. Your life is called to be something more than that. And do not let anything else lead you. The will of God, listen to me, is always led by love. Always led by love. The foundation of love is truth. It's truth. The truth in real love are beliefs, habits, and ties that bring truth, security, hope, peace, and life. The truth of God's love is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in Jesus Christ. Don't you dare turn me off. This is how God, loved, how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, the Bible says, into the world that we might live through him. It is in Jesus Christ that we find the true anchor of life. Again, you just sung my whole message. I feel like I'm not revealing anything new. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the firm, for the soul, firm and secure. It, enters the, it, it, it entered the inner sanctuary, the curtain where the, our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. It is in Jesus Christ that we have an anchor that is the mooring for our soul. But you have to lay down the lusts of your life to allow Jesus Christ to be the anchor. It is the confidence and trust in real and true love that builds mooring in our lives. It is those that give us strength against the storms of life. And try to cause us, you know what a storm is for? Do you know why you went through hard times? Why you went through lustful struggles? Because God wants you to move, excuse me, because Satan wants you to move from where God has you to where you're not supposed to be. That's why. And when you're out of position in your life, you lose something very valuable. Not only love. Not only who you are, but what your life was called to be. What you were called to do with your life. Proverbs 10.25 says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. It is the moorings of God's will found in God's love that holds us fast. Those true beliefs, habits, and ties that bring true security. This was what the mother of the king was trying to get to his son. True mooring of love holds you to a place you should be, not the place you should not. So find your moorings in God's love, mom says. Find your moorings. The second one is found in verse 4 through 5. Listen to it. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer. 
lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Huh. It is the overindulgence, the prevention of, that she's trying to... I kind of fit that. If we can get the next one up or... Yes. I had to come up with a no. So I couldn't prevention of overindulgence, but it is, says the same thing, right? Just trying to get cute on you. It is the prevention of overindulgences. Listen to the message on this one. I found it interesting. Leaders can't afford to make fools of themselves. Gulping wine and swilling beer. Less hungover, they don't know right from wrong, and the people who depend on them are hurt. This past week, I don't think it was any coincidence that the men's group um, was talking on a subject uh, that was described as moderation. We are looking through the 19 qualifications of a leader in, in the Bible on our Wednesday night Bible study. And I would say that we had kind of a, kind of a lively discussion about that. <laughs> Um, it, was, it was very interesting. I think, I think it, up to this point, it's the one that we had some interesting debate going back and forth with each other. Do you know that the Bible does not teach abstinence? It teaches moderation. Why? Why? I think some people struggle with 1 Corinthians 6, um, the 12th verse. Listen to it. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. What's the power of that? It's this. When we, um, back in the 30s, what was that called when we couldn't drink alcohol? Prohibition. Prohibition. Thank you. Back in the 30s. Let me ask you this question. How good did that work on our country? No. No, it's, 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 it's Colossians 3 saying, you know, that, that worldly, um, worldly wisdom, do not touch do not, you know, do not do this, do not do that. It has a sense of wisdom to it. But listen, it has absolutely no power to stop you from doing something. What does? Listen to me. Freedom in Jesus Christ does. When you understand that you're free in Christ and that your whole life it, all things are permissible before you, but not all things are beneficial to you. All things are permissible to you, but you what? I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I, that is a, that's a warrior's cry. That's someone who understands what freedom is and understands the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in their life to say no to that which wants to destroy them and yes to that which wants to give them life. That's the freedom. See, the, the thing is, even though the mother is saying, 
You know, do not get drunk on this because you're going to lose a couple things. We're going to go over that. But, but we would be amiss to think that that's abstinence. That absolutely means you can't drink beer or drink wine. It's a lie. Because Paul himself said, knowing these teachings, said to Timothy, you know what, you're under such stress, my friend. Take a little wine, because it'll be good for your stomach. Not too much, right? Because the New Testament says, do not be what? But be what? Yes! It is in the spirit where freedom is found. It is in the freedom of Jesus Christ that it's found. Do not let yourself be controlled by anything or mastered by anything but Jesus Christ. Because he is the true master that has all of your best interest in mind. And your life will find moderation. Your life will find freedom. Your life will find the ability and the strength to say no to sin and yes to God and to your purpose in your life. Does that make sense to you? It does to me too. I want that kind of freedom. I'm so tired of... of um, of being under things in which, which I feel like I have to like almost, you ever feel this way? Like you'll have to hold on because I don't know if I can overcome this temptation. You with me? Yeah, I felt that way too. But it's for freedom that Christ is such a free. Do not be yoked again to the slavery of sin. Okay, so what, what is it that, that, she, that she's getting at here? What is the effect when a person... I, I think, okay, so overindulgence is defined as this. You do need the definition. When an action becomes excessive, moving beyond the normal, causing a life to yield itself to the demand of the right to the action. I'll say it again because I think it's important. When an action becomes excessive... Moving beyond the normal, causing a life to yield itself to the demand of the right to the action. Meaning that, that the action that I'm doing is a right that I want to do, and nobody's going to take it away from me. You know that you're at a place where overindulgence could be your primary master. Proverbs 2 says this, the first verse, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Listen to me. It does not say that you cannot drink wine or beer, but that you've got to drink it realizing it can become a mocker and a brawler of your life. And by doing that, you're not wise. So be careful. Be careful. So what are the, some of the things she calls out in this? Do you see it in the passage? What does she call out? First of all, lose the ability to discern right from wrong, right? She says, 
that they forget what has been decreed. What's been decreed? What are the commands? It's the, it's the laws of the land. It's the things that hold the... Um, Things that hold the society together, it's the truths over top of society. And it is that you, that you lose your ability to discern what is right from wrong. Truth is always the liberty of life. The greatest sin of Adam and Eve was the fact that they chose to believe they knew truth over God. And that's why they ate the fruit. I take my own truth. I take my own truth, not God's. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, well, let me, hold on. I, I want to encourage you in that. Hebrews 5, 14 says these words. In the discourse that the author is doing on milk, which defines infancy in relationship with God, and solid food that defines maturity in uh, relationship with God, he says these words in the 14th verse. But solid food is for is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. Mama is trying to encourage her son to stay away from the overindulgence of alcohol so that he can be somebody who brings truth into his kingship. Second of all, you see it in the passage? Not just truth, what's been decreed, but deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Hurt those who depend on you. Hurt those who depend. Indulging is a sin. You never sin autonomously from other people. Every time you sin, you bring somebody else into it. It might be your children, it might be friends, it might be people at work, but you always bring others into it. Proverbs 28.12 says, When the righteous triumph, there is a great elation, but when the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. Isn't that true? You had somebody that was a tyrant over you, that was abusive over you, that was uh, a boss that was over you, somebody that, that you know, just brought tyranny to the game. Maybe some of you were abused by your own parents. What was that life like? It was hiding. You went into hiding because of the pain that was caused by someone else. And so, when you sinfully, sinfully indulge, you bring pain into the life of others. The Old Testament principle was that every, every true believer in Jesus Christ is a priest and a king. Leviticus 10, 9 through 11. I'd like to read that to you. says these words in instruction to uh, the priest. It says, um, and starting verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink. Listen to this. Whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. So that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees of the Lord has given you through Moses. He's not saying you don't drink, but when it comes to the time that you're going into the temple, you need to be sober so that you can teach so that you can distinguish between right and wrong, so that you can 
right? Live this life that I've called you to live. And so, overindulgence. I have a, I have a question for y'all. Y'all. What do you find yourself defending your life in the light of that which has tried to destroy you in the past? What do you find yourself defending that at one time was your enemy? I think the effect of overindulgence is still over you. What wouldn't we be willing to lay down for Jesus Christ? It's a question. Before we leave overindulgence, I think I thought the, the next passage was amazing. Look at it with me. Says this. I just you ever like find a passage that you've you've known the truth of it, but you've never been able to laser, laser focus it in scripture? As long as I've learned, as long as I've been learning the Bible and reading it, there's some things that just jump out at me that goes. I never thought about that before. That's really cool. Listen to this. Listen to this. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Overindulgences or addictions are really medications for the dying. A question that came to my mind that I want to challenge you with is this. Why does somebody begin to overindulge? It is because a living death has become more comforting than living one's life. Yeah. It brings me back to a time when my mom passed. Yeah. You went off and you drank and you're just trying to forget the pain of the death of your mother. And then nine years later, my dad passed. Yeah. And that's when I quit drinking entirely. Interesting. So your mom passes, you start drinking, your dad passes nine years later. I drank prior to that, but it's yeah. the overindulgence. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to the message on this. Use wine and beer only as a sedative to kill the pain and dull the ache of the terminally ill for whom life is a living death. Our brother Kyle walks on a daily basis into people's lives that this has happened, that they have come to the place where living is more difficult than dying, and so they're on a slow path to death. They drink themselves, they drug themselves, they run away, they just, you know? But not just Kyle's clients. What about you and me? In, in, the, in, the, psych in the psychology world, um, they have come to a place of realizing that addictions are a lot of times medicating you're medicating you in the pain. And so they take it from that place and they begin to say, okay, if you're medicating here, let's find out why you're medicating and let's work to get rid of not only 
the medication, but let's get rid of the reason why you're medicating. Now, I truthfully believe the Holy Spirit has to be involved in that because how, who else knows the, the spirit of your heart but the Holy Spirit, just like it knows the spirit of God's heart. And so, um, yeah, and so we're medicating. Listen, listen to God's word as it talks about this in, in respect to... In, the, in respect to comfort, what real comfort is. Isaiah 66, 13 says, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. As we turn from looking at the comfort of the world to the real comfort, we find that the Lord is our only comfort in life and death. And I think that's the litmus test. Some of you here today have been struggling and you've been medicating and I want to ask you this question this question can your medication you're using give you comfort in death if it cannot it's incomplete and according to the Heidelberg Catechism Question and answer number one. What is our only comfort in life and death? But more than that, we are not our own. We've been bought at a price. And Jesus Christ is our only comfort. Why? Because he's overcome death. He rose from the grave. He's here to give life. Stop running. Stop medicating. See that in Jesus Christ. He's your only comfort. Only. Someone here tonight needs to come to realize that and needs to come to that place. So, why, why is this mother so concerned about the mooring of her son? Why is she so concerned about his overindulgence and she wants to prevent that? Why? Because she knows the truth that he was called for a mission. Every single one of us in this room have been called for a mission. Every one of us. And when your moorings are wrong, when you are living in the overindulgences of this world and, and Satan has moved you to a place you don't belong, you're no longer in the place of the mission that God has called you to. And that's exactly what she's saying. Verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You have to understand, this is the second most important question you will ever ask your heart. Do you know you speak to your soul? Do you know you do? You know what the first question is? Who am I? Well, who am I? No, no, who am I? You do. You ask, every single human being asks that question. Because of brokenness, because the relationship with God was separated, every one of us asks that question. 
And you will answer it. I'm either who I think I am or I am who God thinks I am. But the second most important question is this. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I taking up air and space in this world? The Bible says I'm just here for for a brief moment. A vapor, the Bible uses. Well, what in the world does that matter? What does a vapor matter? It matters if you know who you are in Jesus Christ and that he's called you to a purpose in the time of the vapor. That's what is driving the mother. The Bible says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come to give life and to the fullest. In the word only that describes the thief, don't miss that. You'll never find anything in the world that will bring true fulfillment and comfort to your life. You never will. If you don't find it first in him, you've already missed it. There's some of you that are in this room today, and as I was studying, I thought, there's some who say, you know, I, I, I've never really believed that, that I could find my comfort in this world. I want to challenge you with something. You may already be there, or you may still be there. Because every single one of us was born with a sinful nature. Every single one of us was born with a nature that was seeking, was seeking what the world could give us. Every one of us. And if you haven't come to a place where you say, I see that in me, you'll never have the opportunity to to deny it and to put it down. That's the reason why God tells us this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hands and with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Why? Because we realize that no matter where we are, every disciple of God has been placed specifically by God to bring glory to God. And so whether you are a worship leader in front of a church or whether you're working on a machine in a, in a factory or whether you are packaging cardboard or whether you're taking care of children or whether you're teaching or whether, whatever you're doing, work at it unto the Lord because he's placed you exactly where you are for a reason. I want you to notice something that's so important about what most people miss, a simple truth. Why did God place you in the time you are living, in the place that you are living, in the job that you are working, in the community that you're living? Why? It's because of this. It's to bring a voice to those who have no voice. Those who have no voice, the babies of the world, the poor, the discouraged, those who are ravaged by sin, who have been abused by parents, who are living lives in response to what they thought was their life. God has called you to bring a voice to them, to the elderly that our world now sees as as, uh, not important anymore. 
They've talked, they've talked about euthanasia. Killing our elderly. Are you kidding me? You're going to take out our wisdom? Yeah, that's, that's a great thought. But I thought it was not little coincidence that the same week that I'm preparing this message that our Supreme Court leaked to us that, um, that they're doing a deliberation on Roe versus Wade and that it looks like... Thank you for the music. It looks like... It's going to be overturned, which, of course, we know means it puts it back into every state's hands to make decisions. But praise the name of Jesus that we have been disrespecting our Constitution for 53 years. And finally, finally, they're saying we're going to honor what our forefathers brought forward in the country. And so you were called to be a voice to those who have no voice. Second, to bring home, to bring hope to the abandoned. Destitute means abandoned. Someone who is lacking the necessities of life. There's only one reason why someone's in this state. It's because there has been a brokenness from the Creator. And so they're calling, God is calling us to be a, a voice. Um, a verse that came to my heart as I was thinking about this was Hosea 2. Listen to God's heart in respect to those who have gone outside of God's will, his chosen people, to live their lives the way they want to. It says this. The whole book of Hosea is an amazing book. Gomer represents the people of Israel, a prostitute. has prostituted herself. Listen to what he says there. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will do what? I will give back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. And so God is saying, I want you to have my heart. I want you to have my heart for those who are destitute, for those who have no hope who are lacking the necessities of this world of life, which is he is our greatest necessity, and you are called to where you are to be a voice and to bring hope into that. Hope into that. Because guess what? You serve Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord that provides. He is the one who says that I have never seen the children of God go hungry. That's what we're called to. That's why this church is called here. To be a voice for those who do not have a voice and to bring hope to those who are destitute. But then there's a third one. It's to bring justice into an unjust world. Justice, right? Can't turn my page. Well, it wants to Must be my breakfast is still in there. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Truly, we can say as prophets of old, so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets and honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. You want to stand up for truth? Guess who you're going to become a prey of? That's right. Our mission is to bring truth and justice into our everyday life. 
It begins by our living real and authentic truth in our own lives and then floods over into the families that we're in and into the business world that we live in. Do you know that our Jesus was accused of some things? Do you know what they are? Guess what? Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right in the end. So as a mother talking to her son, so God has been speaking to us today. He's called us to be his kings and priests in a world that's ruled by a tyrant. We are called to defend ourselves against lusts and overindulgences of the world so that we can be warriors defending others. We have a Savior that is the overcomer of the world. We have a Savior who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have a Savior who says, as he said to Abraham, I will bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. We're called to be a blessing to the world. As King Lemuel was called to be king of Israel at that time, whether it's Solomon or someone else does not matter as much as the fact of a mother who's crying to her child, saying, don't be ruled by lusts. Don't be ruled by overindulgences. Live the mission you were called. Be the voice. Bring the hope. Bring justice. Because that's what we're called by God to do. Do you hear him? Some of us need to lay some things down. Do it today. Do it today. You have a mission. God has a plan for your life, and he loves you. Amen? Stand with me as we have the praise team come forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, here we are. I thank you so much for the privilege and honor to, uh, on Mother's Day, to hear the voice of a mother crying out to us. I imagined uh, Francis J. Andersma was speaking those same words to her son today from heaven. Father, I just pray that you'll bless these words. They have been challenging to me. And I have been wrestling with some of them all week long. I pray that you'll challenge our hearts to hear your voice. In a world of lust and in a world of overindulgence, in a world that um, is driven by I, I will do what I want to do and I do not care what anybody thinks. And they are self-medicating because the result of it is abuse and tyranny to their souls. I pray that you'll raise up a people who have found their freedom in Jesus Christ. A people that have found the fact that in saying no to lust and no to indulgence, that they have found their mission in the world. I don't think it's a little thing that lead to grow has been a call by the Spirit of God from the leadership of this church to the people's hearts because your heart is calling us to a mission 
Your heart is calling us to be the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And we cannot do it if we're caught in lusts and we're caught in overindulgences. And so, Father, from this place, may we be a voice for those who have no voice. From this place, may we go to those who are destitute, who are lacking the necessities of life, and we bring hope to them through our presence and through your presence in us and through that which you may be calling us to give to them. And, Father, may we bring justice to a world of injustice, 53 years disregard of true justice and has been a destructive nature killing generations of people in the midst of us. Father, may we bring justice to this world. We love you and we trust you and we believe you to be the God of all justice who has called us to live a life for you. In the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said,